Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 63 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. And as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the wonderful tune, Big Up Yourself, Free Weed. And what is this, 63, right? 63. We are going to talk about the upcoming Bay Area Cannabis Cup. Uh, we talk with Rick Cusick. We get a nice uh, history lesson about marijuana's Mount Rushmore, or Mount Cushmore, I should say. Uh, you know, five uh, pioneers and influential people who uh, helped to create the legalization movement and uh, what we've got going on now. Uh, we talk, the interview this week, you guys, is Chemdog, the legend, the man, the myth, uh, the real original Chemdog, um, the grower, the breeder who created. Uh, all of those wonderful chem strains that, from which many other strains have been derived, award winners galore. Uh, if you've smoked it, you love it and you know it. And so we talk with chem, uh, which is very interesting and exciting. So I hope you guys enjoy that. We also have, as always, our strain of the fortnight and our grow questions and answers from readers. We're going to talk about greenhouse growing in particular, uh, light deprivation and greenhouse growing. And uh, Mike reveals... His uh, his summer jam of of the summer. Uh, I tell a funny little story about vape pens, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for episode sixty three. I hope you guys stick around and enjoy. I tell you what, Dan. I will tell you what. Uh, there is a a song. It's by a gentleman named Stitches. And uh, this thing has spread through the High Times office like wildfire. Yeah. And I got to say, I, I think this might be my summer jam. <laughs> I think that's... Uh, this I gentleman... I, I don't know if I can co-sign on no? this one. No? I've, Although this, I don't want him coming after me either. No! This would so, be the worst person to owe money to. I don't want to owe him money. I don't want... <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is just the stuff that nightmares are made of. Yeah. Let's give him a little taste of, of this epic uh, Stitches song called Brick in Yo Face. Sh- should we? A little taste. Yeah. And I tell you what it lacks in art. I mean, first of all, the video you have to see. I, I'll, I'll send a link out. Uh, he has with a that gun video. tattooed on his face. Yes. And stitches tattooed on his face. Yeah. And it are, forms. Are those, ta- are those tattoos? Well, it couldn't. Yeah. It sort of forms the Joker smile. The stitches go up on one side and the, the AK-47 goes up on the other. And it, it's very intense. So it's frightening. Yeah. To be honest. But I think that's my theme song for the summer. Brick in your face. What you going to do with it? All right. All right. So I, I needed to get that out of the way because that has been haunting my dreams of late. Um, but we have a great show. I think we do. I we think do. We have, we've got a whopper. 
We do have a whopper. And I think that maybe we should we should talk about this upcoming uh, medical cannabis cup first. Oh, God, another cup, huh? Yeah, right on the heels <laughs> of 40,000 people in Denver. Yeah. We're going uh, back to the Bay Area, sort of. Sonoma County, Santa Rosa, what's up? NorCal, what's up? We are coming. We are at the... Uh, Sonoma County Fairgrounds. Yes. Yeah, that's the venue, and it's up in Santa Rosa, as Dan mentioned, and it's it's going to be a great uh, couple of days. What is it, June 28th and 29th? Yeah, end of June, beautiful time in Northern California to be uh, there in wine and weed country, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. We got a cool panel that we're going to do, a live free weed taping. Uh, there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on, an outdoor area. Um it should be a blast. It's a new new venue for us. You know, we're excited. Um, we're definitely certainly going to focus on the uh, medicinal aspects of cannabis, um, particularly for this one, I believe. You know, being that we are there in NorCal in, uh, you know, the home of Prop 215 and and the, the, the or, or, origins of uh, medical marijuana there that we'll be speaking about a little later as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for this cup. It should be fun. And uh, that free weed seminar, that's on Sunday the 29th, right? I think so. It could okay. be Saturday. It could be Sunday. It's one of those days. It's one of those days. It's one of the other. It'll probably be the 3 o'clock. Uh, you know, we got uh, Kay from Tricome Technologies, uh, Subcool and Ms. Jill, which will be great. I've, I've been long, uh, you know, trying to have a woman on one of the panels for, for a long time. It'll be good, great to have uh, Ms. Jill weighing in on... on uh, you know the particular sort of female. And didn't Jelly Bean just win in Denver? It was a yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, I'm not grown by them, but yeah, at, uh, the Jilly strain, sour Jilly, or one of those strains, did win uh, an award there for concentrate, I believe. So yeah, I mean, and that's bred uh, by an American female, which is very rare in the world of uh, you know pot breeding. So we'll be talking to her about that, of course. Uh, Cushman, I believe, uh, Rick Frommer. Uh, who is the buyer for uh, Harborside, who we've had on here a few a few times uh, on panel form as well as uh, on the phone. And, of course, our old friend Cushman, who uh, debuted his uh, Vega Matrix Nutrients. If people are interested in going, you know, this is not a plug based on any kind of uh, money exchanged, but Vega Matrix uh, is his new nutrient that he debuted uh, it's available at Grenners.com worldwide, and it's veganic. I mean, if you're looking to grow in the cleanest possible way, um, with with simple, you know, not too many different formulas and things that you got to do and teas that you got to brew and things, uh, Kyle has created a product that makes it really simple and easy. Uh, it's a four-part product. It's Vega Matrix. Check it out. Anyway, plugs aside. Yeah, wow. That was intense. <laughs> yeah, we also... well, yeah, I just got finished writing the Stash Awards. And ah, so, <laughs> so okay. I got plugs on my mind. But that, uh, yeah, that's it, you know, without any, taking any money from anybody for any kind of uh, endorsement, it is a great product. So Indeed. And we also, uh, we are just on the cusp of having a very exciting announcement for the, uh, the band that's going to play Saturday. I uh, can't say just yet. Uh, the ink has not been dried yet on the contract, but uh, our jam friends, our yeah. jam friendly people will be very pleased. Yeah, and all the people who, you know, keep saying, you know, look beyond hip hop, look beyond uh, reggae are going to definitely be very pleased if that all comes together as planned or as, uh, you know, we hope. So Yeah, stay tuned. Next next week we should have the announcement with our resident music expert, uh, managing editor Jen Bernstein. So uh, that is San Francisco. If you want more information, uh, head over to CannabisCup.com. You can get tickets and facts and all sorts of fun things over there. 
Dan, I want to give you a chance to answer this reader question real quick. You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, we did our sports on drugs thing. Sports on drugs. Yeah. You probably remember. Didn't go over extremely well, but, you know, uh, this this gentleman took issue with your stance on uh, steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. So here we go. This is from Marcus. He writes in, Yo, Danko. How do you not see that the whole issue with baseball players taking steroids is based on an effort to try to preserve the integrity of the game, not in the ideology of personal liberties? I suppose you would be totally fine with smoking some kush grown with plant growth hormones as well. <laughs> he also <laughs> writes, uh, long-time listener, first-time writer, love the show. Okay, so what would you say to Marcus about this, uh, this dig here, this you accusation? Know, I, I actually responded to Marcus via email, and so thank you, Marcus. And that is for, not something you do no. lightly. No, yeah. no, I just had an answer for him right there and then, and uh, I felt like, you know, uh, you know, it was still fresh in my mind at the time. Uh, and I'll read you my response to him and maybe elaborate a little bit on it, but I wrote to him, um, and this is with, with due respect, because, I mean, this guy obviously is a fan. He likes the show. Um, he just, I think, is a little bit, uh, you know, naive, I guess, about the game, in my opinion. Well, I should say I agree with him, but let's hear your response first. <clears throat> well, here's what I wrote. My point is that the game has no integrity and never did. Uh, and cheating is a part of the game. World Series have been fixed. There's always been drug use. Almost all the players rage out at strip clubs every night. This is the reality. These aren't like some upstanding chaps that our kids should look up to, or rather... You wrote chaps? Chaps okay. that our kids should look up to, but rather people just like us, but bigger, and they're paid to play a game for our amusement that is sometimes kind of fair, but mostly kind of not. <laughs> kind of like life. Oh, <laughs> wow. Which I think is the parallel, you know, there. And some people have kind of rosy glasses and think that... You know, everything is wonderful, but the truth is, like, your favorite rapper has a ghostwriter that writes his raps, and advertising is there to is deceive Is that true? You. V Nasty has a ghostwriter? Who's my favorite? <laughs> Whoever, most people's favorite. Most Does Stitches have a ghostwriter? Quite possible, but, I, you know, I'm not throwing shots, and I'm not making any accusations at any one person in particular, but the truth is... You know, there's a lot of illusions out there that are meant to either take your money or your faith or whatever it might be. And, you know, I like that phrase, lose your illusions of, you know. Is that GNR? I think it's GNR. Or use your illusion. Axel, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Lose yeah. your, I like lose your illusions. Lose, because okay. The truth is, like, you know, you're talking about, what did he say here? It's an effort to try to preserve the integrity of the game. The game has no integrity. <laughs> it's not a game with integrity. Guys are rubbing pine tar all over their faces and necks and constantly plucking at the ball with their fingertips to gouge little holes in it to gain some sort of an advantage and stealing signs from the center field and second base. And it, it's a game full of cheating. And it's whether you get caught or not is not the criteria for whether it was wrong or not. So Pete Rose got caught gambling. But, you know, Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, but, like, a lot of these guys aren't – you can't judge their character. You judge their play on the field. You judge their numbers. And Pete Rose has the most hits of anybody. So he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Case closed. I don't care if he gambled. I really don't care. That has nothing to do with it. So, I don't know. All right, well, Short let's story go, made long. Let's go to the second part <laughs> of that question. Would you be totally fine with smoking kush grown with plant growth hormones? No. No. I wouldn't, but I'm also not, like, eating the flesh of these players. I'm just watching them <laughs> perform a sport. Thank so. goodness. That would be really weird. 
All right. I think we should let that go at that. But uh, send your responses to Danny Danko. Get him on Twitter at Danny Danko. And uh, also freeweed at hightimes.com. And hopefully we put this to bed. Um, I know, I think at this point, people either agree with you or disagree with you. I disagree with you. Marcus disagrees with you. But probably a lot of people do agree with you about your stance that the game has no integrity. I appreciate Marcus writing this in, and it did make me think a lot about, uh, you know, just my stance on the situation because most people think I'm crazy. So he's not alone. No, certainly (laughs) not. Most people do not subscribe to the theory that they should just be allowed to do whatever the heck they want with their own bodies. Most people just think you're crazy in general. That's probably true. That's probably true. Okay, so, uh, Dan, as you know, Last month for the, uh, the what was it, the June issue of High Times, we had the Mount Cushmore of yes. hip-hop and weed. Yes, And indeed. it was Snoop Dogg, yep. Be Real, Red Man, and Method Man. Yeah. This uh, got our staff thinking about other Mount Cushmores of other uh, aspects of marijuana. So what we thought we'd do today is bring High Times associate publisher Rick Cusick on to talk about his Mount Cushmore of weed. Welcome, Rick. Welcome, Rick. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Danny. Always happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, um, you have an interesting Mount Cushmore. Your Mount Cushmore has five people on it. I don't, I don't yeah, know that technically well, that's... Uh, I, think, I think we have to call shenanigans on that. Uh, Mount <laughs> yeah, Cushmore no, has to have know, four. The, 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 the mountain is what the mountain is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just can't take a head off well, the this, mountain. Well, this one has five. This one's got five. You know, we talked about it. What happened was we put uh, our Mount Cushmore on the cover. Uh, but then we thought, what would be the real Mount Cushmore? What would be the real one? And uh, that would be when... Uh, we're on the cusp of legalization. I think everybody can agree with that. We're, we're just about uh, another five, ten years, we got this baby nailed. And the question is, we can see the end of it. At the end of it, when everything's legalized, who were the most influential people mm-hmm. to lead to legalization? Who belongs on the real Mount Cushmore? Right. All right, so we started thinking about it. And it's the more I thought about it, it depends upon your orientation. Now, I'm 60 years old. I'm old enough to remember everything that started 40 years ago. And if we're talking about Mount Rushmore, we're talking about the founding fathers. I'm thinking about the founding fathers of the legalization movement. And so when I'm thinking like that, well, there was different elements to the legalization movement. There was the information that had to be recovered. And that information was first given to us, best given to us by Dr. Lester Grinspoon, Marijuana Reconsidered, 1971. So the first person I'd put there is Dr. Grinspoon. Yes, Dr. Grinspoon. That's the man. Okay, so so Lester Grinspoon is in the George Washington spot. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much so. I mean, uh, Lester, uh, you know, he started off, he's the guy who uh, Carl Sagan was his uh, good friend and was smoking pot every day, and he thought that Carl was going to do himself some bad by smoking all that weed. And he said, Carl, you should stop. And he said, Lester, I think you should reconsider. And he took that to heart, and he went into the Harvard Library and did his own research, and he found out there's nothing wrong with this plant. And he wrote in 1971, published Marijuana Reconsidered, and it's the granddaddy of all the books of reform. All the information that we have recovered and brought to the fore started with that book right there, Marijuana Reconsidered. Um, Not long after that, uh, he was approached by uh, Keith Strop. Now, Keith Strop wasn't the first marijuana activist. There was others. As a matter of fact, if I was going to say who the first marijuana activist was, everybody's surprised to hear it's Allen Ginsberg. Mm -hmm. 
Allen Ginsberg started really early. He went on New York City television in 1960 and said, there's nothing wrong with marijuana and we should take another look at it. Uh, and he and, helps. And also Aldrich. Uh, right. And then he, the along with uh, Allen Ginsberg, Michael Aldrich started uh, Morphia in 1964. But the reason I didn't put them in the, the foundational list is because their dissent kind of got absorbed by the anti-war movement by 68, and it wasn't the strain, if you will, that survived. <laughs> the strain that survived was begun by Keith Strop, that was normal in November of 1970, and, uh, and he used Dr. Grinspoon's book uh, as his Bible, and he pounded around the country, and inside of uh, 10 years, they had 11 states decriminalized, and that dissent continues to this day in a variety of uh, in a variety of strands. So I'd give it to Keith in the number two spot. Well, that, so that's interesting. You're, you're basically saying that there were a number of activists that could have gotten that spot, but because Absolutely. their activism sort of got absorbed into anti-war uh, activism, Keith is the one that kind of, you know, followed through with it. Well, it's the thing is, is who were, the question is, who are the most influential upon the day of legalization? Mm -hmm. And Norma was then, was there then, and they're there now. Still there, Their yeah. influence remains. Right, and okay. And is vibrant today, and that's, that's what I'm trying to continue with. And well, so just to clarify, this, this Mount Cushmore of weed is, is, tor is, is leaning towards activism, towards legalization. Sure, that's okay. what we're talking mm -hmm. about. The idea is that we've legalized marijuana. Who are the, who are the most uh, influential people uh, now that that's happened, or now that's about to happen, we got Lester Grinspoon, we got Keith Strop, and uh, and the funny thing is, um, the third person, nobody remembers, and that's I say it, and everybody kind of looks at me like that's the RCA Victor dog, like they're they don't know what I'm talking about, and it's uh, another dated reference there, but okay. there you <laughs> go, <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what I'm talking about, did they? Now, oh Bob Randall was actually the guy who was the first medical marijuana patient. Bob way, Randall. Bob, Bob Randall. Randall mm -hmm. Way back in the 70s, and outside of uh, the purview of Normal, and outside of the purview of any other organizations, he did his own thing. He went to the government. He said, I have glaucoma. I want my medicine. And they started the Compassionate Investigative New Drug Program based upon his dissent. And uh, that continued on with a number of patients through the 70s and 80s, and there's still a few people who receive their medical marijuana from the United States government. There's two or three left. And, uh, and so Bob Randall, for my money, is the person who started medical marijuana. Because any medical marijuana person would tell you today that it all started way back with the Compassionate IND program. Okay. Yep. All right, so we got Lester Grinspoon, we have Keith Strop, and we have Bob Randall. Bob Randall. Who's Everybody's number four? Up, yeah, they're looking up going, who's that guy right there? <laughs> <laughs> Google him. And the next guy you might not recognize at all, but maybe you've heard about him. Uh, he wasn't an immediate person on my list when it was offered to me. I said, you know, you're right. And that would be Thomas King Forsad, the founder of High Times Magazine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now you, you I don't sound say like a homer. I, you sound I, like a company man here. I know, so I'm explain not this that because pick. I collect my money from High Times Magazine. But I am saying that the founder of High Times Magazine in 1974 took the descent of Keith Strop and it took the the information recovered by Lester Grinspoon and gave a platform 
beginning in November of 1974 that continues for 40 years without fail. Every month, High Times is on the newsstand through the, the wild 70s, through the lowball 80s, and through the rising 90s, and now here as we're succeeding in the 21st century. Without fail, every month, High Times has summoned that clarion call, and that, you got to give it to them. Uh, Thomas King Forsad started High Times, and also High Times is the largest corporate con uh, contributor to Normal for 40 years running. Something Tom started and something uh, we continue now. So uh, I would say that's pretty much a highly influential position to have. <laughs> I would agree. All yeah. right. There's one person that uh, I guess I think I can guess the fifth person here. Yeah. Everybody that's, agrees on the fifth. Yeah, person. If you haven't heard his <laughs> name yet, you probably know. That's the correct. Jack Herrer. That's right. Okay. If there was one statue, forget Mount Cushmore. If there was one statue, I know 20 people who think that statue should be them. There's only <laughs> one person that statue should really be, and that's Jack Herrer. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the hemp warrior, the cannabis spirit, yeah. the, he embodied the fight. I mean, he's the, the, the one, you know, I, I was interested in marijuana and I was interested in all those things, but I didn't truly become an activist until Jack made me an activist. That's right. Um, and, you know, as he always said, it's horror and it rhymes with terror. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> he yeah. was a terror if you were a prohibitionist that had to hear from him. And, and uh, you know, he traveled all around the, the country and all around the world to many of our cannabis cups in Amsterdam and, and all over basically preaching uh, the cause. He wasn't always let's say, you know, 100% accurate, <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, <coughs> most proselytizers aren't. That's right. You know, a, uh, you know they, they, they fall for it too, and, and you know, he, but he was just so, uh, you know, I, I, I still, I can still remember him saying, if you quit drinking alcohol and smoke marijuana instead, you will add uh, 10 years to your life you know i remember him s hearing him say things like that and it's it's you know you 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 wonder like well what does he mean but it's true it's absolute truth and it's it's a it's a difficult thing to even argue with you uh, know even if you're a prohibitionist it's hard to argue with that so he had a very uh very compelling way of of making the argument. You well, know. you know, if I, if I said that uh, Lester gave us the information back and Keith gave us the dissent and Bob Randall gave us the, uh, the medical marijuana and Tom Frasad gave us the platform, the original platform, Jack gave us the inspiration. And that's what it was. You know, you're right. Was, his, was he always accurate about everything he said? Was he hyperbolic in his statements? Sure. When he passed away, I talked to one of his close friends, and she said he was like an Armenian rug salesman. He'd do <laughs> anything to close the deal. And, uh, and you know, something It's true. And uh, closing the a, deal to him was ending marijuana prohibition That's correct. Completely. And he was a warrior in the best sense of the word to make sure that, that, uh, that this uh, war comes to an end. And uh, like I said, if there was a statue, a single statue for a single individual, Individual, it would be Jack Herrera, Rounds of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, as, despite the fact that, you know, Mount Cushmore should have four people, we're letting you have that fifth, and I yeah. think Jack is an excellent choice. Yeah. Dan, uh, how do you feel about this? Do you agree? Is there any dissent here in your Mount Cushmore of legalization? Uh, no, I, you know, I mean, I guess I pretty much agree. I, I know, you know, a lot of people haven't heard of Bob Randall, uh, but, you know, Rick is right. The guy, uh, you know, really jump-started the whole the idea that someone could actually use marijuana medically and so uh you know lv and and irv and all the people 
who were part of that program all came on the heels of him uh, challenging that law. So, uh, you know, whereas before I would have said, you know, scratch the person that, you know, the least people, the, the, the most people haven't heard of or the least people might recognize, um, the truth is you can't really sweep the guy under the rug. I mean, you know, th that's a major achievement. And, you know, as stoners, as part of the counterculture, we can't really mimic, you know, what, you know, Mount Rushmore did exactly. We got to put our little twist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We put our little twist on that's it too. And I should also even mention that like Mount Rushmore itself to me is like a bit of an egregious kind of like <laughs> thing that they did to in the Black Hills as kind of a, <laughs> you know, a stamp on, on Indian right. land and all right. that. Right, so. okay, we'll get into that at well, another time. Well, the memorialization so, so. ideas, I'll tell you, when I floated this around and, and I got into this for a week or so, we, we started talking about this at lunch after we had the cover out and then I got on the phone and I, I just brought it up with not only activists I know but also businessmen and a lot of different I, as I say, I'm 60, and a lot of people came in at different generations mm -hmm. with different sets of heroes that they think belong on that mountain. Mm -hmm. And just some of the uh, people that, that we didn't mention here, that other people did mention, is uh, the late Peter Lewis, who contributed an enormous amount of money to marijuana law reform. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick Steves, who continues right. to uh, uh, contribute a great deal of money, who also sits with, uh, with me on the uh, normal board of directors. Uh, Mason Tavert, mm -hmm. uh, who had everything to do with uh, legalizing uh, marijuana in Colorado. Vivian McPeak, who's yeah. been trying to legalize in uh, Washington, DC, uh, Washington State for uh, 25, 30 years mm -hmm. and seems and, to have succeeded. Yeah, Seattle Hemp Fest. That's right. Yeah. Other people, Valerie Corral, who we're going to mm -hmm. be giving a Lifetime Achievement Award at our, uh, at our Cannabis Cup, I Excellent. believe, in, uh, in, uh, uh, re coming up in June. Uh, Peter Tosh and Bob Marley. Legalize it, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I Bob. would put them together and just Kaya. say they're the whalers. Right, right, the whalers. <laughs> uh, Jorge Cervantes. Jorge, Jorge sure. Cervantes, that's right. Well, there would be no Danny Danko if there wasn't an Jorge Cervantes. <laughs> Indeed. Let's get it straight, okay? Indeed. Dennis Perón. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Prop 215. Yeah. Sure. Uh, huge influence. Mark Emery. Mark Emery. Mark absolutely. Emery. Free Mark it. Emery. Give he, it up for Mark Emery. He will be apparently, uh, as of the last time I heard, out of prison in August. That's right. He's so. going to come out and having done his uh, his due diligence just in And time. watch out prohibitionists. That's right. That's right. <laughs> watch out. And uh, and the last uh, the last one that co name comes up all the time is Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong, yeah. yeah you know, course. Woody Harrelson could, could, could be there, Woody too. Woody Harrelson's you know? there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Bill Maher. he's been a lot Bill of MIA Mar for the last few years. I yeah. haven't seen Woody okay. in a lot of uh, protests You know, Bill Maher's been, you know, almost every show he puts almost out Almost every show. You know, he yeah. talks yeah. about it. Normalizing so. pot yep. smoking. Uh, look, uh, we could shoot these names around sure. for the rest of the show. Uh, but we're sort of out of time for this segment. But what, what we'd like is for you, the listener, to uh, either tweet us, that may not be enough characters there, email us, freeweed at hightimes.com, who you think should be on the Mount Cushmore of marijuana legalization. Uh, this is our list. This is the official free weed list. So uh, let us know what you think. And Rick, thank you so much for the list. Uh, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to share it. Yeah, man. Thanks. Uh, great history lesson, if you guys didn't know. And uh, even if you did, a great way to just uh, reconnect with our activist roots and keep this fight going in the name of some of those people, because some of them uh, are no longer with us and uh, we honor them in this fight. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. So, Dan, tell them what they should stick around for after the break. 
oh wow, we have an interview for you guys. We talked to the real Chemdog, the originator of the Chemdog strains, uh, all of the, you know, the origins of the Kush and the Diesel. We discussed all of that with Chemdog. So stick around for a, a different type of history lesson of a line of strains that are award-winning, uh, potent, uh, odiferous, and <laughs> fantastic. So stick around for our exclusive interview with the one and only Chemdog. All right, you guys, I know you want to grow pot. That's probably why you're powering through listening to <laughs> me and Mike yap about all this stuff. We'll get to it. Yeah. So the reason you're here, I would imagine, is you either want to grow pot or you want to grow better pot. So here's the deal. Check out BC Northern Lights Grow Boxes. These guys have been around, like I always say, since 2001, manufacturing these things from the ground up. These are built machines for, specifically for this purpose, not repurposed cabinets or, or or you know bookcases that have been carved out to grow weed in. This is made for cannabis production. And uh, you know, it shows because all of the components, all of the equipment is top notch. I, I like to call them the Rolls Royces of grow boxes. They they are a little bit more spendy, but you're getting what you pay for. They roll around on casters, they're very easy to move, they're fairly lightweight for how big they are. Um, the bloom box has three chambers in which you can grow perpetually year-round mother plants clones flowering plants everything inside this one box lockable uh, touchscreen technology you know the roommate can replace your lame roommate by literally growing you free pot and uh, it's got a very small footprint it's an amazing machine the producer look if you have access to rooted clones or you want to grow from seed the producer will allow you to grow a lot of pot in a very small space with not a lot of electrical usage, one outlet from the wall. So check them out. Everything's automated. Everything's, you can do hydroponic, you can do soil, you can supplement. There's all kinds of add-ons and wonderful different packages that they have. They're good friends. They're great supporters. So check them out at bcnorthernlights.com or give them a call seven days a week at 888-236-1266. Tell them Danny Danko and Free Weed sent you and there's all kinds of special deals that they have for people who mentioned that they heard of them from our show. Now back to the show. All right, we are back and we have a very special guest with us here on the Freeweed show. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. Chemdog himself. Uh, welcome, Chemdog. How are you guys doing today? Thank you for having me on, Danny. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Uh, I know I've, 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 you know, written some articles about uh, the things that you've done over the years, and uh, we, you know, we've gotten to know each other. And I do appreciate you coming on here and uh, enlightening our listeners a bit. Um, if you could, maybe uh, just take me back. I know you've told these stories a million times, but uh, some of our listeners may not. Uh, m many of our listeners may not know um, the tale of the Chemdog and, and where it all begins and, and how it relates to what's going on now. So if you could take us back uh, and just tell me about the origin story, the uh, beginnings of the Chemdog strain. Okay, I met um, Joe B. and uh, Peabud, Joe Brain and Peabud, in 1991 at a dead show in Deer Creek, Indiana. Um, it was, I believe, in July, um, or June, maybe, June or July of 91. And um, 
I met him on the lot, and I noticed he had some really, really good herbs. So um, I ended up getting some from him at that point, and um, I realized it was some of the best herb I have ever smoked and smelled in my life. I was young, but it was some of the best shit I've ever seen and smoked. It was killer tasting. And um, it was very expensive, believe it or not. 1991, they were getting, I think, 500 bucks an ounce for that stuff back then. Um, and thank God it wasn't cheap because uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have uh, basically spawned a lot of things out there that we have nowadays. And I'm very grateful for that. So as what happened is um, I kept in touch with them, thank God. And a couple months later, they'd gotten, you know, I called them. I was like, I need some more of that shit. And they had gotten some, uh, they lived out in Colorado. And they had gotten some back to the East Coast for me. And um, it was just an ounce. And basically it had 13 beans in it. Um, and them guys said they had been looking for beans for like a year or two, and they couldn't find anything. Funny is I found 13 in the one app they sent me. So they must not have been looking too hard. But, you know, ended up with 13 beans from there. And I, from what they tell me, it was originally, I don't know, they, they say it's, it's like they, they were getting it from the California... Oregon border, I believe, and um, still to this day, we really don't know what it really was. You know, there's they, they, they don't really, I don't even know if they know. They, they spoke a little bit about it, but I'm not sure what they even knew it was. So um, basically, I got the 13 seeds, and um, I was with Joe Brand, and he was like, they call it chemweed, and some call it dog butt, because it makes you, when you smoke it, it makes you, gets you so ripped, you roll over like a dog. So I decided, all right, you know, chemweed, dog but I'll call it chem dog so I called it chem dog and that was that and I had 13 seeds I started four of them in 91 and um one was a male threw that out probably wish I did at this point in life but you know being very young that's what I did I didn't want it and two were kind of crappy and the fourth one was really good and it would remind me of just like what I got and um it was that's the famous 91 cut that everybody has around um, there's also a cut going around the 91 Skunk VA cut, which is exactly the same thing. It was just a friend of a, my friend's, my good friend's friend who actually had the real deal, and uh, a lot of people got his cut. So if you have the Skunk VA cut, that is the 91 cut. It is a legitimate cut. And um, that's how the 91 started, basically. Cool, cool. And along with that 91, there was also... Uh, the chem dog D and and the chem dog sister uh, were those also well, the sister the sister was started the next four I think I spawned or maybe I started a few more after that and one was like the chem B or something that was okay and then I had the um, chem dog sister I, I got that I believe that was in I want to say 96 maybe this chem dog sister so I don't, my dates are a little messed up it's just I'm getting older so <laughs> um, I think that was in 96 the sister was started and um, that was really good too. That was a very different, just a different out of them, but very good. And in the between all those came the um, the bubble chem, which was a Sager Math Seeds bubble berry male crossed with the um, sister. Mm-hmm. So that's what made the bubble chem. And then uh, you know after that there was some uh, strain called the Snow Dog, and the Snow Dog is the um, the bubble chem crossed with the um, mass super skunk and a snow bud male from Oregon. The snow bud male from Oregon crossed with the mass super skunk, and they took that and crossed that with the bubble 
10, and that made the snow dog. And then, you know, later on in the years, I started a few more, which was, I believe, 2006. Uh, yeah, 2006, I started the Chem D, and that was one of the last few that I had started after that, was the Chem Dog D. And um, right around that time, there's also the Chem Haze, which was the Chem D crossed with the um, Cincy Seeds NL5 Haze male. So that's what made the Chem Haze. Um, and obviously, you know, earlier on in the years, the mom of the the 91 is the mom of the sour. And um, let's see, after Chem D, I gave Joe Brand four of my last, pretty much last seeds that I had. I had two after I gave Joe Brand, which ended up getting taken, gone. Um, and Joe Brand ended up making the Chem 4 that you hear, the Chem 04, the Chem 4, and the Chem 04 are the same, same thing. And that's probably one of the latest final of those 13 seeds that's out there as far as like the final 13 seeds and there's a bunch of stuff getting out there now that everybody's been mixed matching with uh jj of nyc you know top dog seeds there he's done some phenomenal stuff with it so give him big props on that yeah and and that actually includes like the star dog and the tray dog and and those are the the, the yep, sort of all those and those are chem four crosses that he's managed to uh to create sort of new stuff with, right? Yes, and I think he used some of the some of the ninety one and some other stuff he has. He has a crazy library of stuff that looks like I've seen online. Um but he did some stuff with the Chem Dog D also too, but a lot of the you know, is with the four and you know, especially the Star Dog, that stuff's awesome. Yeah, and um um tell me a little about a little bit about the Jeezel and 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 while you're at it, um, I think yeah, that does, does does that also relate to the mass super skunk? And and what's the story? Yeah. What's the yeah, story yeah, behind the that? The yeah. was just a mistake. The Jesus was just a mistake. Jesus was a mass super skunk kind of hermit, which it didn't take the hermit traits at all. The mass super skunk hit the chem dog D, which I called the Jesus. At first, we were called the orange Jesus or um, super dog, and I just find, finalized it to be the um, the Jesus. You know, so that's all, all the Jesus is, is a mistake made by the mass super skunk hitting the chem dog D and um, it comes out great. Um, and it has no army traits really at all. None at all, you know. We'll say the chem dog D Hermes and stuff, but it really does. It's just how, you, you know, if you have stress in your room, it's gonna hurt me. That's all there is to it, you know? Yeah. And um, now tell me a little bit about uh, what first really initially attracted you to that five hundred dollar bag in 1991 i mean uh you know obviously you said it was the best thing you've ever seen but can you describe a little bit about like the the the, the flavor and the high and the odor the flavor and the high it reminds me still to this day of the straight sfv og kush it's very identical to that which um it was just very lime green, not huge pieces, but very crisply. And the taste was just phenomenal. You know, just like that, kind of like a cross between like the sour SFVOG, like that taste to it, you know? Um, what drew me to that is when I seen it, I was like, I gotta have this. I was a very, I was young, but I was a very connoisseur of finding good things. And every time I went to see the dead, I would scout out the lot for some of the, you know, what I could find some of the best herb to have. And, I did that day, and um, that really you couldn't put a price tag on it. You know, I wanted it. I didn't care what it was, and 
that's it. I mean, them guys sold out of that stuff in like an hour at that point, a whole bunch of it at that price, which back then is astronomical. You know, people weren't even here at five hundred dollar ounces back then, but you know, yeah. The problem is you couldn't even go back then. You know, back in the day when we were younger, you have a little piece of that in your pocket. You couldn't, you couldn't even go to a grocery store. It would reek out the whole store. You need like a little, you needed like little Tupperwares or little jars because you'd get called right out. People would think you hit a skunk when that. You know, it was, it's very <laughs> skunky stuff. I can tell you, I've had several uh, incidents on the subway and in other places where, you know, that that odor has just permeated and it's really, it's like, I sometimes I've told people it's 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 weed that actually narks you out. It's so stinky. Yeah. You know, in the 91, a lot, it's not really, you don't see much of it out here, but it's definitely, there's some people that still do the 91 really good, really good still on the West Coast and they're actually running with it pretty good, you know, and they're good friends of mine and they they still do it it's phenomenal still so you got to think that thing that same cut's been 22 years 23 years old right now yeah that's amazing and uh now now what about the whole like the diesel number one underdog sort of side of things is that does that come out of the 91 that came out of the 91 that uh top dog jj's buddies did over there in this Staten island area um, that came before, you know, right around after the 91 was, that came before the sour. Yeah. So that's what that, you know, they did some sort of, they weren't big breeders, but they just were messing around. And that's what they came up with with that. I don't really know the truth, you know, I mean, it's out there what it is, but that's where that comes from, basically. Yeah, I mean, according to them, I, they say Mass Super Skunk Times, uh, Sensi NL, crossed with the DNL, which is that diesel. DNL. Yeah. And diesel that, Northern Lights, yeah. Right, and then that becomes the, the the sour diesel of legend not to be confused with the, right. yeah the NYCD of soma and uh, you know some of the other sours that have been out there the IBLs and the and the v- version the BXs and things um, but that's that sour that really uh, you know fueled the delivery services of New York in the 90s and and, and early 2000s um, that people could really get top dollar for. Um, and it really, yeah. it's amazing that that, you know, comes off of the 91. And then at the same time, you know, people talk about OG Kush as being a, a spawn of that same seed. I mean, would you, would you say that that's correct? Yeah. I mean, back in, I think it was 96, 97, I had a friend that moved to Tahoe and he had a whole, he knew a group of older guys and he actually was doing the 91. He was like the only first person to have it on the West coast. And he gave it, he gave it to, um, these older guys and they grew it out and they had actually bag seed of it and they started a couple beans of it and to this day this is how this goes people probably don't believe this but this is one of the stories of one of the OGs but he did a it was an S1 of a 91 basically he started this older guy and he grew it out and he came up with it and he's like well you smoking we're all uh, this is back when I was out there with him and he was like man this stuff reminds me of the old Kush that we used to get back in the 60s or 70s you know, or whatever he said that you'd find once in a while. And he's like, that. he started that and he called it, the, you know, the OG Kush. And that was the S1 of the 91 that he called the OG Kush, which I believe to this day is the SFV cup that made its way down to San Fernando Valley after the Tahoe. I believe someone brought it from Tahoe to SF to San Fernando Valley. And that's one of the OG, you know, one of the true first OG Kushes that was out there. And I think there's tons of spawns off of that. 
what you hear of now, like the platinum Kush, the, you know, all these crazy Kushes, that, mm-hmm. and they're very similar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're basically different phenotypes of the same strain, right? Basically, that's what I'm coming my conclusion on, you know? Right, and now... You kind of tell, you know? Right, now with that in mind, you know... Um, to the to the amateur, it's it, it's somewhat difficult to tell the difference, you know, between the D, the ninety one, the diesel, the OG Kush. Um, you know, these are we're talking about fairly subtle uh, differences. Can you just describe maybe just a little bit of your experiences and and what you think those differences are between those? Uh, basically, the chem, the diesel, the sister, and the ninety one. Well, the well the diesel is just the ninety one. Right. That the kid, that the, the New Yorkers change the name of Chemdog to Diesel because they want to kind of vary, you know, keep their variants of their own thing going on out in the city back in the day. And that's why that has came out. People, they, you know, they've said that this story's been out, and they have said that the the ninety one, the Diesel, New York City Diesel, not so much, but the New York City Diesel that you heard of back in the early nineties mm-hmm. was actually the ninety one. Okay. Um, the ninety one. SFV and the Sour are very similar. The Chemdog D is not like any of those, really. It's very chalky, um, very, you know, it's different. It's not, it doesn't have that, like, when you burn, like, the SFV OG Kush, that's very similar to the 91 almost. And the Sour, it's kind of like that taste went with that. The Chem D kind of tasted like chalky, kind of like the the 06, I mean, the uh, 96 Sister, kind of, um, it's just they're just different in a way, you know. Okay, and what about the sister? The sister's just got more of a, like I said, more of a chalky Ken D kind of taste to it, you know, like very, uh, very tasty, very spicy almost, you know. It's 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 different like that. And the Jesus very fruity kind of like the super skunk that took very much a lot of the super skunk traits on with it. Um, and the bubble bubble chem is just. Tastes very bubbleberry-ish, you know. Very took on the trade of those. Very unique. They're all very unique, you know. Well, uh, last question: What's your desert island strain? If you could only have one, and you were trapped uh, on a desert island, I have to go back to the original ninety-one. Yeah, the ninety-one. Right yeah, on. I got to give her the credit, you know. I mean, <laughs> the mom and mother of all you know yeah well it's amazing to think all the things that have have been spawned from that and 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 that uh the you know that you took the 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 initiative to do what you did and i mean so many numerous uh cannabis cups and and awards all around the world for flower and for concentrate have been won um, from this and and I know we can talk for a long long time with you and I know hopefully we'll be able to revisit uh, with you in the future as well Maybe- anytime Danny anytime anything for you anytime buddy wow I, I really appreciate it um, thanks so much for coming on the show if you have any sort of uh, last thoughts or words on on sort of just what the legacy of this whole thing is what you think of as uh, sort of you know, the all-encompassing thing of, of, of the Chemdog uh, family tree. It's pretty amazing, actually. I never thought it would get to this thing. And um, I just got to say that I'm very grateful and very happy that everybody out there can benefit from it. And, you know, medicinal-wise and, you know, for themselves. And I'm just glad that, it, you know, that I could do what I did. I didn't really do much, but I at least, I don't know, I guess I could say I pioneered some of the, better things out there that kind of existed and if I never probably would have um, 
done that in 91, who knows where we'd be at right now without the friend. I don't know, you know? Um, so I guess it kind of did become a legend of its own for sure. And um, I'm grateful for that. You know, I didn't do much, but what I did is very proud of it. That's for sure, you know? Right on. Well, listen, uh, I know there's a lot of other people out there that are very happy that you did what you did. I'm very happy that you were able to come on the show and uh, chat with us. I know you'll be back in the future and we can get into a little bit of, uh, more more uh, about the, the line and, and, and growing these strains and, and things like that. Um, but I truly appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much and uh, uh, best to you and yours. No problem. Thank you, Danny. All right, you guys, I'm pretty sure that that segment's probably got you interested in getting some genetics. (laughs) And uh, where else to begin but Gorilla Cannabis Seeds? These guys have been doing this for years. They know what they're doing. Their packaging, everything is top-notch. They have all kinds of free seed giveaways that they can do. Uh, Everything's really discreet and stealthy, 100%. Really good prices, eco-friendly packaging, worldwide delivery that's the most important part right there worldwide delivery i get asked that all the time who's going to send me seeds ask the gorilla and it's gorilla-cannabis-seeds.co.uk that's their website check out their facebook and their twitter and be sure to tell them that freeweed sent you because that helps us and it also helps them to understand that you know they're advertising dollars are working on our show people are finding out about their seeds from us and purchasing them so please check them out and you know gorilla also has a promise they have really good customer service so a lot of these companies you'll send an email you'll call a number the number is dead the email doesn't respond these guys are there for you so go gorilla or go home All right, this is our cultivation section. It is, yeah. Thank you to Chemdog. That was that was awesome. It was yeah. nice to have him on. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I really appreciate him coming on, and we're definitely going to revisit a few things with him as well, including uh, some grow tips and things in the future. Do like regular Chemdog check-ins. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I like it. All right, uh, so it has been a fortnight at least. A fortnight plus. Fortnight, maybe several fortnights. Yeah. So uh, let's do strain of the fortnight. Let's do it. I think this uh, fortnight I would like to introduce a strain called Dark Star. Uh, it's been very popular. This is a TH Seeds uh, strain from Doug and Adam, who uh, we've had both, I believe, on the show. Um, 20 years now, since 1994, uh, since they started TH Seeds, and they're still innovating cannabis genetics with new material. They're still using new things to create uh, new varieties, and their Dark Star Actually, it was featured in our June 2013 Strongest Strains on Earth story, and that was because it tested at a whopping 22% THC at our 2012 Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam, uh, which is huge. 22% is very high. Anything over 20 is uh, is up there. So, uh, But a lot of times, those stra- type of strains that kind of... Uh, don't have like the flavor you know they have the potency but not the flavor that's something you cannot say about dark star it uh does not give up flavor for potency it's got that uh, hindu kush kind of taste not the kush uh we think of as like the cali kind of kush but the real like hindu kush um spicy very robust uh thick smoke 
characteristic of that region, characteristic of plants that were bred for hash making. So it's, you know, this is a hash making plant. It's an almost pure indica. Flowers a little longer than most indicas, but it's well worth the extra uh, fortnight or so you might have to take it, you know. Uh, most indicas are done at, let's say, six, seven, eight weeks. This one goes to 10 weeks, but it has all the benefits of an indica. It's easy to trim, uh, stays, keeps a low profile, stays short with like nice thick branches, dense fragrant buds, and uh, particularly for medical use, and I'm gonna um, emphasize this as well, it's, it's, it's got, a, gives you strong case of the munchies. So um, people with a lack of appetite who are having trouble uh, with nausea and things like that, uh, not great nighttime weed, great right before bed as sort of a sleeping aid. Uh, and those guys have it available in regular and feminized seed form. So if you're interested in growing it out feminized, you can do that. As far as the lineage is concerned, um, it's purple kush, which is uh, Hindu kush crossed with Afghani, purple Afghani. Uh, it's that purple kush crossed with uh, Mazar-e-Sharif, which is a famous, famous uh, hash making plant and uh, how those guys got a mail of that I, I don't know I'll have to ask them but uh, that it's a t 10 week flowering time as we mentioned which is long for an indica but well worth it uh, check them out at thseeds.com and uh, get yourself some beans of the dark star Yes, do that. And also, while we're on that topic, a uh, shout out to Sibaritas Cannabis Club out in Barcelona. They are stocking that uh, Dark Star. We saw that when we were out there. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Great shop. Great shop. Wonderful people. So thank you for that. Um, what do we have for our cultivation uh, Our cultivation information this week? What's our topic? You know, I wanted to talk about greenhouse growing. Uh, a lot of people have been asking me about this lately. Uh, greenhouse growing is a very efficient way to grow cannabis and almost any other plants, really. Uh, greenhouses have a lot of benefits. Basically, you've got the benefits of, of indoors because you can control the environment. Uh, you've got the benefit of, you know, CO2. Uh, that's why it's called the greenhouse effect. You know, it gets warmer inside the greenhouse. You can extend your seasons, uh, you know, by months in some cases, certainly by weeks in many cases by using a greenhouse. I've seen greenhouses in Maine that are heated where people are growing uh, vegetables and plants in the greenhouse while it's snowing outside and, and frozen lakes and things. And Are they they're artificially heated or just from the, the sunlight? Oh, no, they're heated. They're heated with, uh, you know, like a, a heater, you okay. know, like a yeah. wood-burning stoves and things like that. Um, but that's the way that they're adding enough heat to that uh, greenhouse that they know, can they, grow in the winter grow in the winter time and it's pretty impressive and you know most people don't have that hard of uh, conditions to deal with so you can certainly use little cold house you know cold traps and things uh, uh, you know uh, hoop houses as greenhouses to extend your seasons you can also uh, use them basically to protect your plants from wind and rain and snow and things like that I mean Obviously, the greenhouse is protection from a lot of the elements. It's harder uh, for bugs to get access to your plants as well. And you have the added benefit of outdoor growing. Uh, uh, you're using sunlight whenever possible. Now, most of the greenhouse gardening that I would recommend for cannabis would require supplemental lighting within the greenhouse. So you'd have lights in there for those times when you don't have enough sunlight to get by, but you reduce your costs 
tremendously from an indoor grow room where the lights are the only supply of, of, of any kind of lumens, whereas you get free lumens from the sun and, you know, it's fully, full spectrum, full intensity. So you're taking advantage of that in the greenhouse. Now, um, some of the drawbacks are, you know, the heat, that the heat builds up. So you really got to have good air circulation. You have to be able to control the environment inside the greenhouse. And if it gets too hot or too cold, you have to make adjustments very quickly. Um, there's all kinds of automated ways to do that. Another cool thing about greenhouse growing is light deprivation. You can grow in a greenhouse if you have the ability to cover the greenhouse at certain times when there's too much light. You know, let's say you've got like, you know, 15 hours of light in the middle of the summer. If you cover the greenhouse every, you know, 24 hours for 12 hours, you cover it so that no light reaches those plants. You can induce flowering in plants that shouldn't technically be flowering outside. You are forcing them to flower outside by reducing the amount of light that they get to 12 hours on and 12 hours off. And by doing that, you gain the added benefit of being able to harvest sooner, you know, before, uh, let's say, there's any kind of helicopters or rippers or, um, you know, deer, pests, or all these things that can come around in you know, September, October, November. If you're harvesting in, you know, June, July, yeah, you beat all those things to the punch. So light depth is a very popular thing that people are doing when they do have access to uh, greenhouses and, and light deprivation facilities. And I've seen them where they're even automated. Uh, a lot of times it's a hand crank thing where you have to go out there and actually close the unit with a, you know, a crank or something. But they have solar ones, they have automated ones that are on timers that just close and shut um, you know, the dark part to, uh, to keep the greenhouse dark when you need it dark. And you know, with supplemental lighting and uh, you know, light depth, you can really grow amazing plants in a greenhouse when no one is expecting you to be flowering pot at all. So, uh, you know, and greenhouses come in, in, in all kinds of different sizes and all kinds of different affordability levels from, you know, really fancy, expensive ones to fairly cheap ones that are, it can be installed by one person. So, um, you know, that protection from insects and pests and diseases, diseases is great. Uh, that ability to control the environment is really the advantage you have over, you know, not having that greenhouse on top of those plants. Um, you really control, it's your level of control. You control humidity, you control temperature, you control soil aeration, moisture and drainage, fertility levels, light, all these things that you lose control of when you grow outdoors. So, uh, you know, I highly recommend greenhouses. I think in the future, you know, as marijuana is more and more legal, I think you know, people are going to move from indoor growing to greenhouse growing uh, with these type of controls in place because you simply can't afford all the electricity that it takes. And, you know, greenhouse growing will reduce your carbon footprint by, uh, you know, basically producing more oxygen from these plants and, you know, allowing you to grow them far, long, far longer into the season than you normally could. So, you know, as long as you have your allies in controlling temperature, which are vents, fans, all of that, and you always want to make sure that any kind of intake fans are well filtered. You don't want to be bringing pests into a situation where they're alone with your plants and there's no predators to get them and control their populations. So, um, you know, that's the basic thing about greenhouses. We could talk about them uh, much longer, and I'm sure we will. But uh, we should probably move on to some grow Q&A.
Why don't we? So yeah, my favorite part of the show, grow questions answered by Danny Danko. And if you have a question you'd like Dan to answer, uh, get us at Twitter. It's at Danny Danko, at MyQ's underscore, and also um, email freeweed at hightimes.com. Let's get started. Our first question is from Lorenzo, who writes, Greetings, Danny et al. I guess I'm et al. Uh, can you please dedicate a segment regarding the propagation of plants for seed, i.e., as opposed to the grow techniques for Sensi Bud? It would be very helpful to many folks. What do you think? Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, I guess the folks he's talking about are people who are interested in breeding their own strains. Um, in that particular case, you know, you want to know how to make the seeds strong, the strongest they could possibly be with the most vigor. And what I would say is basically, uh, you've got about, you know, two weeks or so when they're flowering before they really are going to show you too much of their sex. I mean, you'll start to see pre-flowers and you'll start to know, um, what things are, but you really, you know, you want to have male pollen ready for about the third or fourth week of flowering in the female but the male pollen has to come from a plant that's older than that female plant it can't really be the same age because they uh you know they won't coincide quite as easily so like a week or two older basically so you stagger your plants a little bit like that so that the male is a little bit older and you take that pollen and get that on that female about at about the let's say third week of flowering or, you know, right around that time. And that'll give you enough time through the end of the flowering cycle for seeds to fully form inside their pods and become fully viable. Cause if you, if you get that pollen on there in the fifth or sixth week, you're going to end up, you know, even in the fourth week, you're going to end up with immature seeds for the most part. And you want the seeds to be fully ripe and plump. Um, so basically, uh, you know, that would be the difference, uh, as far as growing for seed, you're gonna everything else you do the same. You feed the plant the same way. Um, instead of you know big seedless buds, you're gonna have buds filled with seeds, and all, a lot of the energy of the plant is gonna go over to making seeds. Um, but basically, everything else is the same: the feeding and, and and the watering and all of that. All right. So thank you, Lorenzo. And our next question comes from our old buddy Duke Duke at Duke Duke. Uh, Danny and Mike, first off, uh, keep up the great work. The show is very helpful for many reasons. Uh, my question, although frustrating, I love it when I experience a problem growing and then I'm able to learn from it, rise above it, and not see the problem happen on subsequent runs. Can you relate a story from your early days of growing about a grow that went horribly wrong and what you did to fix it? Anything come to mind? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, actually. Uh, I do remember a grow... Um, this was 16,400 watt lights, if you can believe it. Those big, uh, like, street lamp looking lights. This was a long time ago. <laughs> 16. Yes, mm. 16,400 watt lights. Uh, it's like a warehouse type situation. And uh, the plants just started to kind of go yellow. And, you know, everything was fine. I was feeding them fine. I didn't really understand what the problem was. Uh, and then finally figured out that basically... Uh, you know, I had a pH issue and not a feeding issue. I was trying to give the plant more nitrogen to green it up, and really it was making the problem worse because um, rather than greening it up, it was making it more yellow because the, the pH of the soil 
was, you know, let's say something like 5.0 instead of, you know, 6.5. And it was just not allowing the soil and the roots to the roots to uptake the nitrogen. But I was pouring more and more nitrogen on. So creating a, a toxic uh, environment for the roots and making it worse and worse on them. They can't take in the nutrient, but the nutrients building up and burning them anyway. So uh, it took a while to figure that out and a lot of flushing. And we had a lot of plants in that spot. And, uh, you know, we flushed them all out and we figured it out and we greened them back up and everything survived to a certain extent. You know, you can never really outlive something like that because it's always kind of there, you know, as a lasting kind of result of what you've done. But uh, we managed to still harvest and, and figure things out. But, yeah, that's that's one of the times that I realized, you know, don't just test your nutrient a solution going into your soil but make sure you test it coming out as well meaning the runoff after it's gone through the soil that'll tell you a lot about what's going on with your your soilless mix or whatever it might be and you can make adjustments based on that type of knowledge rather than oh these leaves are yellow i need to add more food because that will get you into a lot of trouble overfeeding is a big issue so um yeah that's i guess that's the story i would relate uh, closest to what he was talking about. Yeah, and uh, and good for you, Duke. To you bringing that up, uh, we've long maintained on this show that you learn by doing, and it's all trial and error, and that's how you become a better grower. Absolutely. So there you go. There's no real way to fake it. There's no real way to read it and learn it from a book. I mean, every situation requires a new uh, approach, and and you kind of have to be open to. Uh, you know, not closed off to, to new ideas and new ways of dealing with problems. Exactly. All right. Our next question comes from Amish Herb. Uh, he had an awesome time at the Denver Cannabis Cup. It was bigger and better this year at Denver Mart, and that was a better venue. He'd also like us to give a shout-out to Lance and Molly, who apparently he met on the VIP line. What's up, Lance and Molly? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the question is about uh, recreational pot shops. Amish Herb writes, I found the experience of buying herb legally really great, I went to nine dispensaries, all of which were selling herb that was bright green and so dry that it would pour out the end of the joint like sand. It resembled the fresh buds I would microwave dry when I couldn't wait uh, for them to cure naturally. Unlike those microwave buds from days of old, the crystals were awesome and it had a great taste. I also noticed I had to light the joint several times to keep them smoking. What are your thoughts on this subject? Is that how it's supposed to be? Am I just old and out of touch? A little odd that he found the buds to be that dry, but had to light them several times to keep them going. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that uh, sounds like a classic sign of over-fertilized bud. I mean, most of the pot in, in the Colorado area is going to be dry because it's just dry there. You know, it's like... Um, so dry there. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God, my lips were like... Yeah, anyway. You got to hydrate. You got to hydrate. You're up a mile in the air, and, and uh, it's just dry. You know, the growers there have a unique experience of having to use humidifiers instead of dehumidifiers in their growing <laughs> areas um, to prolong the drying process. And, uh, um, you know, as far as the, the wouldn't burn properly part, you know, assuming that you ground it up properly, then that seems like a sign of over-fertilization. Uh, but as to your experience, I mean, you know, the, these rec shops, you know, just like any other shop you're going to go to, you got to find the one with the stuff you like. And there was a lot of pressure on these places early on to open with product. And I don't, I'm not saying they microwaved any of it or anything like that. But, you know, there was a rush to market. 
uh, in January and February and, and March, let's say. But, you know, time will tell and things will loosen out and more shops will open and prices will go down. And, you know, all this hysteria over the taxes and the prices and everything will all go away in the face of people legally over 21 just being allowed to buy eighths of pot over the counter. And, and, and that's... Uh, it's an amazing thing and it's an amazing experience and keep the receipt from the first time you do it because it's something worthy of framing and yeah i mean that's basically what i'll tell you i mean there's product of all kinds on on the medical scene there's product of all kinds on the rec scene and there's products of all kinds on the black market and you know we as connoisseurs get to pick and choose what it is we want to smoke and if you don't like what you see at that shop there's another one down the road so yeah let me complain for a minute about the stuff i bought on the black market all right, <laughs> you get you get you you're get getting what you whatever get. you, yeah whatever yeah. is available. So, you know, just be glad that uh, there's a store, a shop that you can go to and buy pot over the counter because I sure am. Indeed, but thank you, Amish Herb, and he also sent a photo from the uh, free weed seminar that we did in Denver. And oh, cool. uh, so, thank you for attending. We appreciate the support. Uh, yeah, so keep those questions coming. This next question is from Dan, and it's about flushing. Mr. Danko, my goodness, so much respect. Mr. Danko, you answered a flushing question on the show and said three to five gallons of water per gallon of soil is good. I grow outside in the ground and I use drip irrigation. Should I water longer to get a good flush? Thanks in advance and my dog says fire Michelle Leonhart. Yes, <laughs> thank you, Dan. Hashtag fire Michelle Leonhart. Let's keep that going. But what do you think about flushing? Yeah, he's talking about flushing outdoors with a drip system. Basically, just use more water. You just use plain water and more of it. Uh, you know, you're going to get a certain idea of, of how big your root, you know, your root ball is. If your plant, it's, you know, your plant size pretty much dictates how big your root size is. Uh, so, you know, just use tons of fresh water, uh, plain water without nutrients added, pH balanced, and, you know, flush it through there. Uh, in those last, you know, two weeks or so of flowering. And, you know, if you start seeing the, the leaves go a little fall color, a little yellow, a little um, fading, a little reddish here and there, um, that's a sign that the flush is working and uh, it's not something to freak out about. It's a good thing um, and it'll help you create a better burning product, a cleaner product. And, uh, you know, it's hard to, for me to tell you exactly how many gallons because I don't know the size of the plants, but you know, it's tough to overdo it. Just flush, 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 and when in doubt, flush some more. All right. And even throw in a courtesy flush. Thank you, uh, Dan. We appreciate that. Or was that Dan? Yes, that was Dan. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's do two more, but let's go to the speed round here. We're almost out of time. Uh, thank you for the show, guys. A friend of mine bought seeds from the Hindu Kush region in the mid-70s and has been growing them, selectively breeding them ever since. Uh, my question is about semantics, really. Would it be correct to call this strain Wiltshire Kush, as it's a Hindu Kush, which has been bred for 30 years in Wiltshire, uh, UK? Or does Kush nowadays denote a group of American West Coast strains? Tristan wrote that. What do you think? Uh, you know, I'd call it Wiltshire Hindu Kush, to just to be more accurate, so it wouldn't get um, sort of lumped in with all the, you know, SFV and the OG and all that sort of SoCal West Coast um uh, Kush that people trace back to the uh, the chem dog and things like that, um, rather than 
call it that you know the the wiltshire kush i would just call it wiltshire hindu kush because that would denote it as more of something that came over from the hindu kush region and was worked on all those years in the uk and that'll yeah, just sort out some of that confusion that might arise. Danko Solomon says split the baby in half and go with Hindu Wiltshire Kush. I like that. Thank you, Tristan. And moving on, Wil- our Wiltshire, last... Wiltshire Hindu Kush. Wiltshire Hindu, but, not Hindu way, Wiltshire. Either way, the Hindu Kush stays together. So Wiltshire, Wiltshire on Hindu Kush. Yeah. I like that. Okay, that's what it is. Thank you, Tristan. Final question comes from Jake the Muss. Hello, Danny uh, Danko and Mike. Awesome movie reference right there, too. Jake the Muss is... Uh, that that Maori movie, uh, Once Were Warriors. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's about uh, some. It's an interesting, great film. I am unfamiliar, but not, okay. not for children. But oh, yeah, okay. It's not a kids' film. All right. Very good. But Jake the Muss is a character in Once Were Warriors. Thank God you're here, and I would not have picked that out. <laughs> um, also, because we do the show together, so it's good that you're he's here. He's a badass too, by the Jake way. Jake the Muss is. Jake the Muss. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's shall not, we read Jake the Muss's question? Yeah. Okay. Hello, Danny and Mike. I had a question for Danny Danko. Uh, you recommend foliar feeding plants in the vegetative state. Might it be possible to overfeed or burn your plants if you are foliar feeding them as well as giving them plant newts in the watering in the watering feeding? It would seem that you were feeding them twice over this way. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, the foliar feed should really be super duper mild, like quarter strength or lower. Um, in which case you're not going to overfeed. And if you, f- if you fear overfeeding, you know, using your foliar at quarter strength, then take a quarter strength off of what it is that you're drenching your soil in and you really won't have to worry about it. So if you've been doing, let's say, three quarters of a liter or, uh, or a milliliter, uh, if you've been doing one milliliter per gallon, bring it down to like three quarters uh, of for your drench and one quarter for your foliar and then you really can't overfeed that way it's the plant's not really taking in a ton of nutrients from foliar feeding it's really uh bringing in a little bit of that through the through the water but really you know you're you're rinsing off the leaves you're rinsing the dust off you're rinsing any potential like bug eggs and 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 dust and things that just clog up uh, plant pores that's really what you're cleaning the plant's pores and allowing the plant to breathe. That's how the plant breathes. And so I wouldn't worry so much about, you know, you can even foliar feed technically with plain water, but we like to put just a little bit of nutrient, a little B1 vitamin, something like that, just because some of it is absorbed, but it's not, I wouldn't really consider it plant feeding when you foliar feed. All right. Very well, mild. Thank you, Jake the Muss, and thank you for your creative name that made Dan so very happy. If you have a question, that you would like Danny Danko to answer on Free Weed. Uh, find us on Twitter, at Danny Danko, at Mike Hughes underscore, uh, hashtag Free Weed. You could also get us by email, freeweed at hightimes.com. Uh, we look forward to seeing your question. Dan, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and put a bow on it? Let's do that. All right, is it time to wrap it up with Raw? Let's wrap it up with raw papers. That's pretty much all I wrap it up with. I don't I don't mess with uh, any kind of other papers. No really juicy J's? None of that. No. Like, it's crazy. But no like, Bible pages? Nah. No. Nah. I Newspaper? mean, I'll clean my dabber with them. Yeah. You know, that's Bible sort of pages? Yes. Okay. Yes, I will. Is that a commentary on your views of religion, or <laughs> is be. that just, it like, convenience? Uh, you know, 
it's it's both. This is going to be a meaty wrap. We have got a lot to talk about right here. And uh, one thing that we should cover uh, that we didn't talk about in our intro is another cup that's coming up right on the heels of the San Francisco Cup. Right. And that's our Michigan Cup. Our Mi- triumphant return we are to coming Michigan. Back. You know, ever since we did a cup in Michigan, uh, we did a cup uh, in Detroit. It got raided. We decided not to do more cups. Yeah, we decided not to do more cups until we could, you know, maybe try not to get raided. Wise decision on our part. uh, And ever since then, all of my Michigan friends, all of our people in Detroit and Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. Kalamazoo. The the upper uh, peninsula. Mm -hmm. All over the state of Michigan and even outside of the state but near that area have been clamoring for a cup in Michigan, and we are bringing it back. We we uh, we deliver. We're the people's champ, man. Right. We we come where we're wanted, and we're going back to Michigan. We are going to be in the town of of what? What town are we? It's outside be in? of Flint. It's outside of Flint. Yeah. Okay. Do you know, anybody know the town? Name? Town? Clio. Chloe. Chloe. Clio. Clio. Clio, like Clio Michigan. Clio. Okay. We are coming. We are doing a cannabis cup inside of you. <laughs> And uh, and it's on, it's on. Uh, Chicago people, don't sleep. All right. Yeah, Midwest, come out to this Michigan Cup, and, and I'll I'll tell you what. This is the, this is a, a great chance uh, to to show that the Midwest, that Michigan, should have an annual cup. So come out have, and check this out. They have great bud. They have great concentrates. Uh, so that's the Michigan Cup. If you want more details, if that was a little too sketchy uh, for you, go to CannabisCup.com. You'll get all your info there, and I think you could buy tickets as well. And we will be updating you periodically on that cup. So looking forward to that. Uh, we also should mention that we still have this BC uh, Northern Lights grow box that we're trying to give away. So, yeah, why don't you talk a little about that? Yeah, it's a Twitter, Facebook co-branding sort of thing that we've done. We're trying to find synergy between the two brands there. Uh, So basically you follow us, uh, The High Times Presents Free Weed, on Facebook, and you follow uh, BC Northern Lights, BCNL420 on Twitter. And when both of those things get to 5,000 followers is when we release the grow box and we release it to one of the people who's done those things and you know maybe tried to do a little bit extra to spread the word and get more people involved so yeah it's a fully automated grow box from bc northern lights it's a roommate it's a four plant system that uh, can keep you in free weed for you know months and months so yeah yeah uh, that's how you do that and you know social media in general just like fuck with us like comment you know like thumbs up you know tweet tumble that shit tumble yeah. you know instagram instagram it you know do do what you can to promote and Google, you know i see Google that stuff I, I love that stuff i appreciate it uh you know you guys are great fans and we love you guys we truly appreciate it uh gotta thank uh the legendary Chemdog for coming on the show mm. and uh illuminating us a bit <clears throat> about those strains he illuminated the shit out of us <laughs> Let that me say this real quick. the shit out of me. Yeah, that's no dog. joke. Oh my God. No joke. All right, Strong. here's the thing. Um, we took a little time off. We had to recover. Rec- we had to recuperate or recover from that Denver Cup. Um, so we wanted to give you a little something extra. Now, free weed, more so than anything, we hope we entertain, but more so than anything, we educate. And as a public service announcement, I got to tell all of you people who are taking your vape pens all over the place, traveling around with them, 
we got a little message for you. So if you're listening to this right now, whether you're in your garden or your home, hopefully not your car, uh, roll up a joint and listen in as Danny Danko tells you a story. All right. So I'm on the subway and I'm reading the paper, got my headphones on, listening to some music, not really paying too much attention. Got a vape pen in my pocket. Okay, no big deal. You know, just traveling around, doing some vape pits here and there. Crowded train? Somewhat crowded. No? A little crowded. Uh, not too crowded, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of out of it. I'm, 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 you know, looking at the paper. I'm listening to music, and I smell something. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> is somebody smoking weed on the train or, like... That's ballsy in the yeah, morning commute yeah, in New York like City. Yeah, it's like 9 a.m., yeah. you know, traveling through the city... And, you know, that's pretty ballsy, you know, something, that's funny. And, you know, then I look back at the paper, I'm like, oh. you know, and then something else smells. Now it's more burning. <laughs> now it smells like burning metal, and it's a little bit worse. I look down, and smoke is pouring out of my pocket, out of my pants pocket. And people are backing away from me, <laughs> like I'm the shoe bomber, you know, and... They've realized it long before I realized you it. Had, you're like sensory deprivation. Right. You got I mean, the headphones. You know how we are, too. Yeah. We, don't, we're, you know, we, don't, we smell weed all the time, so it's like kind of like, oh, okay, smell of weed. To some people, they're freaking out. <laughs> so these pe- people are backing away from me and like, you know, looking for their phones and trying to like figure out what they're going to do with me. Say goodbye to their loved ones. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, luckily, you know, very shortly thereafter, ding, ding, you know, the door is open. I... She scramble out of the train. I pull this hot as as lava pen out of my pocket, which is obviously like the button has been depressed inside my pocket, and this pen has been going off for you know. A, so your vape pen was sort of on was, autopilot. It was, it was just a, heating and heating, just heating and heating, and, heating. It, and it heated through through the oil that was in it, which was that nice you know herbal smell that I smelled, and then it started heating itself, eating <laughs> eating itself, and heating. The whole thing, it was so hot, I couldn't, I could barely touch it. I unscrewed the battery, threw the battery away, threw the, you know, eventually whatever. Well, no, you found it, and then you still had to ride on the train until the doors open, right? Well, the door, yeah. The yeah. doors, luckily, I wasn't, like, under the, you know, the river or something. Yeah. And, and I was able to just get off at the next stop and, you know, catch the next train. But uh, the, the the pants were never the same. I washed them <laughs> four or five times. Uh, could not get the burnt smell of metal out of the pocket area of the pants, so they had to go. Uh, the pen had to go. I mean, it, just a lesson. Like, here's the thing: you press the button five times on the pen, and it shuts off. You know, I think almost all the pens work that way. I learned that one the hard way. Yeah, you get to learn it from me the easy way, <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> That's what happened. My favorite part about that story is that you just you assumed that that weed smell had to be coming from someone else. Well, like, it was who's... nine in the morning, yeah, and I was like, just I was traveling to work. I wasn't. Can't be me. I wasn't smoking weed on the train. You know, it was just happened to be that there was a pen in my pocket. I don't even know that I was like a hundred percent aware of it, that it was even there, but I became very aware <laughs> that it was there <laughs> quickly. I mean, it really burned. It hurt. Yeah. You know, it wasn't... Yeah, at the you time, set your pants now, on fire. Now it's hilarious. At the, at the time, it was pretty horrific. Right. You know? Could have been a bad scene, too, if a cop happened to be... Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it was it was certainly not unlike, you know, what it must have been like to be seated next to Richard Reed and have him, <laughs> like, fumbling around with the smoke and matches and stuff trying to light up his shoe bomb. So, you know, here some kid just has... Or kid. Some guy has smoke pouring out of his pocket... 
and he's shifty looking weirdo <laughs> but so, completely oblivious and to he's it. oblivious yeah. to it so yeah people certainly the, the yuppies that morning got <laughs> got quite a uh, nose full and an eye full of me and uh so if anyone was on that train i apologize i mm. hope you guys weren't traumatized but uh certainly didn't work out well for me either so uh you know stand clear of the closing doors yeah there's a lesson in there somewhere kids i don't know exactly where bottom line is we're back we hope you enjoyed it. That was episode, what, 63? 63. Thank you to Rick Cusick. Thank you to Chemdog. Thank you, t- as always, to Jacques and Winstrong and producer Mike Hughes. So, word up. Episode 63. Put her in the books. 